Okay, good morning. It's good to be together as the family of God, isn't it? It's such a joy to be here. I love it. I love uh, meeting together, worshipping together. There's something so special about it. We had a couple of weeks away in the summer, so two Sundays we weren't around for, and I was itching to be back together uh, worshipping. It's just so, so good. Uh, a question I'd like to ask you, <laughs> would you like to be better and more confident at sharing your faith with other people? Is that something you would think, I'd love to be better at that? Because if you listen this morning and you apply some of what's been suggested, not only will it be easier to do that, it will like, it's not going to be like easy, but it will be easier uh, and you will feel more confident to do it. You'll, you will leave this morning thinking, well, I, I can do that. And it's not actually that challenging. Okay, so first uh, slide. This is Megan and I. This was taken at our engagement party. Um, but I want to ask you a question. Do I love Megan? How do you know? LAUGHTER My lifestyle, what is that, sorry? Wow, Benny. My lifestyle, and Benny's used a great word, the way I devote myself to my, my family. Imagine on the day of our wedding, so this was our engagement uh, party, um, but imagine then you sort of fast forward six months or so, wherever it was, to our um, wedding, and we exchanged our vows we, in front of God and, and many of you, we signed our marriage license, we walked out, you know, there's the sort of procession, procession, the, I've now pronounced, uh, you know, I sort of present to you Mr. and Mrs. McGovern, we walked out the church, and then as we walked out, I was holding Megan's hand, and I let go of Megan's hand, and I started chatting to this other girl that was there, and I said, oh, you know, what you're doing later, um, you're free, I'm going to a party, you know. That wouldn't make sense, would it? That would be like, hang on, you've just, you've said these things, you've made this promise, you've done that, and, and now almost immediately you're behaving in a different way. There's an old Christian uh, band or group, music group, they weren't a band because they didn't play instruments, uh, called DC Talk. Uh, you, they were sort of around in the 90s. Uh, and they had a, a song called What If I Stumble? And it started with this quote, which is from a guy called Brennan Manning. And it says this, the, single, uh, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. It's not enough to just say it. It's not enough to just like know it in your head even, or to like feel it. You know, it's, when we're in here together and we're singing, oh yeah, I feel, I really feel that affection for Jesus. I believe it, I believe it in my heart, I know it. It's not enough to just have those things because Real belief, real knowledge, produces action. The book of James talks about this clearly, doesn't it? It says, faith without deeds is dead. Is, it, is that real faith? Is it like, because 
if we really believe, we'll at least make an attempt. We might fail in the attempt, but we will attempt. You know, how's your, we talked a little while recently about your pursuit of holiness. How's your pursuit of holiness going? You might be failing, but are you failing? Or have you just resigned yourself to, well, you know, whatever. I'm never going to have a control on my anger, so I'll just give in to it. I just, of course, I, that's just who I am. I just say, say things that are a bit harsh. I've had people say that to me before. You know, it's just who I am. Yeah, and you're meant to be changing. That's, you know, the Christian message is that you're changed, you're transformed. So let's look at Acts 2 together. It'll come up on the screen if you don't have a Bible and haven't managed to download one. Let me read it for us. So Acts 2, and we're starting at verse 42. And so the context is, this is the birth of the church. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the disciples. They've been filled. They've had this crazy sort of outpouring of the Spirit where they're all uh, speaking in different languages and people are going, hey, he's talking my language and and he's talking and she's saying this and and are these guys drunk? No, actually, it's the Spirit has moved. And they say, Peter preaches this sermon and people say, there they say, what, what do we have to do to be saved? And loads of people uh, become added to their number. Uh, so 41 says, those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So about 3,000, church growth, that's pretty good, isn't it? One day, 3,000 get added. We'd have a bit of a problem in here, wouldn't we? But um, a good problem to have. Yeah, please, Lord. Um, And then it says this from verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's the word of the Lord. It's encouraging stuff, isn't it? So today we're starting a three-week, just a short series on... uh, looking at some of what's contained in those verses and uh, the point of these weeks is to challenge us challenge us in how you know we are doing church together and uh, as individuals like how am I living my life in sort of the context of these verses and this was you know as I said this was the birth of the church this is the original church and uh you know, the original and the best is sometimes sort of touted, isn't it, by companies who are like the first to make something. Um, is this the best church? It's the original church. I think it's the best in some ways. You look at some of the stuff, they were really like, I mean, they didn't have much time to get it to go wrong, did they? You know, you sort of, you a sermon, 3,000 people join the church. And then the next, you know, after that, oh, we're getting new people every day. Things seem to be going pretty well. Um, 
They do very quickly get some things wrong, which you know we don't have time to look at and we won't look at, but you can carry on and read in Acts if you want to. But this, this was the original church and they got something spot on. Some things were just dead right. And you can see that because at the end of these verses, it says this uh, in verse 47, um, that they had favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so you can see they had favor with people. They weren't like at odds with everyone, which I don't necessarily think is a problem if a church is at odds with the culture. That's part of the course, and we need to get used to that in some regard. But people were looking at them going, oh, there's something going on here that seems to be good. And God was blessing them with numerical growth, which is not the only metric of the health of a church. Um, <sighs> And depending on you, where you are as a church in terms of geography and moment in time, it's pro- it might not be a, a healthy measure, but it, it is a measure of actually the church should be growing. Because Jesus said he will build the church and you know, the kingdom of God is an increasing kingdom. It's the, the mustard seed that grows. It's the, the rock that becomes the mountain that fills the whole earth. So in this instance, it is a metric where it's saying God is blessing them by adding to their number daily. So what did they get right that we can learn from? Where do we fall short? How can we grow into a more mature church family? By emulating that early church. And I'd say some big clues, and the ones that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks particularly, are found in verse 42. Uh, which is going to come up there, and it says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What's the first thing that jumps out at you when you look at that verse, if you read that verse, if you hear it? You're allowed to. Devoted. Devoted. Breaking of bread. Apostles teach them. I think the key is for me, there's there's some there's obviously some things that they they did. They devote well, they devoted themselves. That's the that's I think the key thing. They devoted themselves, but to what? To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Sometimes it says the prayers, sometimes it says prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. In short, they were devoted to learning and living their faith. We prayed for Matt last week, didn't we, for this endeavor that he's you know, working on trying to sort of help equip. How do people learn their faith and put that into practice? And in many ways, that's what the church has been trying to do for 2,000 years. Learn your faith, put it into practice. Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. They were devoted to it. That's why I was pleased when Bethany said, that I, you know, my devotion to my family. Oh, good. I'm pleased. <laughs> we need to know what, it, what does it mean to be devoted, though? Um, that's, I've entitled this series Devoted. Um, it's not very original. You, know, you can find lots of uh, devoted church series. Um, but what does it mean to be devoted? When you hear that word, what sort of comes into your mind? Probably 
you know, if you're of a certain age, Sandra D singing hopelessly devoted, um, you know, starts running through your head. Maybe you think of Queen Elizabeth, who's just passed away. That was one of the, that's one of the words that's used to describe her, isn't it? She was devoted to service. It's a repeated refrain, a life that was devoted to service. The word that's used in this passage is an interesting one. If you, you can look it up, if you, if you don't have any kind of like uh, study Bible at home, a good website is called Blue Letter Bible. You can sign up for free and it has lots of very sort of helpful tools on there. Um, we've got a good app as well. Uh, but there's, a, there's an interesting word there. If we go on to the next slide. Uh, proskartereo. My pronunciation is poor, but proskartereo. And what it means is it's a phrase, and it's a combination of, of two different words, but it means that they were continually devoting themselves. It wasn't a, a one and done. There wasn't a moment of devotion. It wasn't like that wedding day where you say, okay, I'm devoted to you, and now I'm, that's it. I, I, I've devoted myself, I'm done. It requires, a, it's saying we're continually devoting ourselves to these things. So they continually gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. They continually gave themselves to the fellowship. They continually gave themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer, repeatedly. They're repeatedly, actively committing themselves again and again. Some of the ways that it's used can be described as to persevere and not to faint, to not grow weary in your devotion, to be steadfastly attentive, to be courageous for whatever the thing is. They were courageous about the apostles' teachings. I mean, they, they li really listened and they really followed it. It's also the word that's used when Jesus tells his disciples, he says, get a, you know, there's a big crowd here, get a boat ready for me so that if it gets too big, the crowd and I'm getting squashed, I can go out on the water and talk to people. And it's like this word, it's like the disciples have got the boat ready. Like, okay, if, it, if he's getting crushed, we need to get him in and get him to safety, as it were. Being in constant readiness. You know, I am, this will shatter many of your illusions, I am not a perfect man. Um, in our marriage, in Megan and I's marriage, it's not difficult for me to see ways. Like, that's not really a challenge. What is difficult is to be steadfast and diligent in those things. You know, there's lots of things that I could do. I think, you know, if I did that, that would be a blessing to Megan or whatever. But to, to like think every day to think, oh, I'll do that. Or even like I start out well and then like by 10 o'clock I'm thinking, oh, could I do that? It's hard, isn't it? To be steadfastly, diligent, actively, intentionally devoted. That's the challenge. For me, at least. You can grow comfortable, easy, lazy, dare I say it. So this is a big, broad question. In your life, 
Are you a devoted person or a dabbler? Just take stock of some of the things that you're interested in, even your hobbies. Are you devoted or do you dabble? <laughs> Rhetorical question. <laughs> but we, you know, some people are devoted. You, know, you can be, you have sort of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? We used to sing a song in church, and I think Sue referenced it when we were praying this morning, because he's out with the kids. Uh, this is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe, your, ver your presence. This is my daily bread, your very word. I'm desperate for you. It's one of those sort of slightly odd songs where it's almost like, is this, this seems a bit like romancy to be singing to Jesus. You know, one of those sorts of songs. But it's difficult, isn't it? I think worship songs, they can be tricky to sort of navigate that line. But this is the air I breathe, the presence of God. I need it. I need your presence in and out. You don't think about breathing, do you? Until someone says, think about breathing. My day bread is what I need to sustain me is the word of God. Are we devoted to it or do we dabble? Think, oh, you know what? I'll just, I'll carve a load on Sunday and that will see me through for the rest of the week. Are you a, dev a, are you a devoted person? Dabbler. Well, this morning I want to talk about being devoted to the fellowship. Over the next three weeks, we're going to try and sort of cover uh, some of these different things. But I want to talk, at least begin to talk this morning about being devoted to the fellowship. And here we have probably the most famous fellowship um, and the one good film in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, <laughs> it's the most true to the book, um, but not completely. Um, but these guys, they were, they were a fellowship. What is fellowship? You know, I've heard lots of things. I've been in church since I was, you know, I can't remember not being involved with church. But what is fellowship? I once heard someone say, it's, it's meeting together and having food. I'm thinking, well, I'm not sure that's quite right. It's a joint participation in something. It's a community that you are meaningfully invested in. This fellowship, the Fellowship of the Ring, they had a joint participation. They were invested in the mission. And it's meant to sort of kind of each of the different races of um, being in Middle-earth. They all participated by having a representative in this fellowship. Fellowship in this context then, in Acts 2, is the church. The church is the fellowship, that they are participating together in life, that they all have a are all invested, they all have a participation in Jesus Christ. And this makes sense, and if we look at what follows, because they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which would have been the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said, what I've commanded you, go and tell other people, who can then go and tell other people. We've talked about that before. So the apostles' teaching would be the teachings of Jesus and there would have been things like this. 
John 13, uh, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I'm going to read that again. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you. Jesus told his disciples, all that I've commanded you, teach to other people. Yeah, so that makes sense. So this is going to come from the apostles to the church. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Jesus loved the disciples. Peter tried to give, you know, causing problems for Jesus. I'm going to follow you to the end, Jesus. I'll never, I'll never abandon you. He abandons him. I've never, I've never met him before. Judas betrays him. Spent three, at least three years together. Probably every day. Imagine you spent, you, you had like a, you know, imagine your explore group, if you're part of one, about 12-ish people. Imagine you met every day and you like lived pretty much together. Maybe, you know, you sort of stayed in different houses on occasion, but like you had breakfast together, then you had lunch together, you had dinner together, you hung out every evening pretty much. And then one of them, the people, turned around and stabbed you in the back. one another, just as Jesus loves. And then he says this, I think this is really interesting. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I don't want to miss this because I think if you said yes earlier on that you want to be a better better at communicating your faith, at demonstrating your faith, at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. This is key. If you want people to know that you're a follower of Jesus, that's probably quite a big if sometimes in our lives. You know, I once said I wouldn't put a fish on my car because I'm not a good enough driver. Um, you know those fishes to say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, um, which they're kind of out of fashion now anyway, but I always thought, I'm not putting one of those on, what if I cut someone up? Um, which I don't do, I'm a good driver. Um, but if you want people to know that you're a follower of Jesus, what's a surefire way of doing it? Loving your brothers and sisters. Love the church. I was just randomly looking around at sort of various sermons that were um, on this, and a guy called Mike Ott, who's he's just a, a pastor, he's not of anyone particular in, um, in the States. I mean, he is someone particular to people who know him, I suppose, but he's not you know, famous or anything. Um, he, he had a quote, though, that said this, I thought it was, it was excellent. Uh, hopefully it was originally his, <laughs> and he hasn't sort of stolen it. But it says this, what if the greatest strategy for evangelism isn't about production quality? It isn't about fantastic programs. What if the greatest evangelism strategy isn't tied to a fancy building or entertaining topics or entertaining speakers? What if evangelism 
rests on us being devoted to one another as the body of Christ? What about our effectiveness as the body of Christ rests on us loving one another as Jesus has called us to do? It would make such a difference, wouldn't it? You can let everyone around you know that you are a follower of Jesus simply by loving your brothers and sisters well. You don't need to stand on the streets and shout it out. Maybe God's called you to do that, more power to you. You don't even need to sort of think, right, this week I want to share my faith. Next time someone brings up something vaguely sort of linked, I'm going to use my conversation skills to bring it round to, by the way, did you know that Jesus died for you? You know, you've not got to try and shoehorn it into a conversation. Well, that's interesting that you went to see this film. This person is like this. And you try and sort of, you know, it's, it's not bad to do that sometimes. Oh, you know, I was watching this. It's interesting. The Queen passing away. Loads of opportunity to talk. Very easy to segue into conversations about faith, death, what happens after. Those are all potentially good things. But a surefire way of doing it, that Jesus said, Jesus said, by this, all people will know. If you have love for one another. Jesus taught and the apostles taught that the followers of Jesus should love one another. So how did this early church do it? How did they show their love for one another? Well, if you turn back to Acts 2, and we can see what's there. So if we bring it up on the screen, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And now, as we read those next verses, think about how are they devoting themselves to the fellowship, to one another. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and had favour with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think there's a few things that we can pick out from there, isn't there? Just a few verses together. It says they were together and had all things in common. There was a commonality about them. Now, if you actually sort of fast forward a little bit, you can see they had all things in common. Doesn't mean that they said, right, this is the church uniform. Everyone gets a grey jumpsuit. Everyone has a portion of food for the day. And we all drive the same car. And we all only get the same. It wasn't like that. Someone said, oh, <laughs> if you really want a great jump to, I'm sure we can accommodate. Um, but there was a commonality to it. They had a shared ex existence and experience. They were together. They were unified. Now, they didn't all have exactly the same possessions and same you know, financial things, but they looked after one another practically and financially through self-sacrifice. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You know, is your, if you hear of a need in the church, is your first thought, I could fulfill that need? 
And if you think, oh, you know what? Actually, money's quite tight for me at the minute. And you're, you're saying you've got need as well. Is there a thought that comes into your mind, well, I could sell that Xbox or my TV or something and I could give that money to them? That's challenging, isn't it? You should be challenged by that. That's the intention of it. This is not meant to be comfortable. Oh, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, I'll just go away and think about that. This is radical stuff. I'm going to sell my possessions, my belongings, and give to someone else who's in need. Yeah, but they're my belongings. I paid for those. I've worked hard to get that money. And This is what the early church did. By acting like this is how we demonstrate to the world that we love one another. Now, you can go on and you can read... Uh, in a few chapters' time in Acts, about Ananias and Sapphira, and what they did, and they sold their field, but they didn't bring all of the money, but they said they brought all of the money, and there was all sorts of problems. Still owned stuff, okay? When you look at the church, when you read about the church, there's people who are wealthy, people who are poor, to the extent where there's instruction that says, you know, don't give like nice chairs to wealthy people when they come in the church and make the poor people sit on the floor. In the church, we're all equal. Now, you might have been blessed financially or materially. If you've been blessed that way, yes, so you can use it to be a blessing. You might have been blessed with particular skills, and you've been blessed with those in order to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters. It's always interesting, this is a slight aside, uh, it's always interesting when someone has like skills in the church. So if you've got someone who's like an electrician or a plumber or a mechanic, and someone in the church says, oh, can you help me with this thing? Because do you then pay that person? Because, oh, my, I need something done on my car. Can you come and have a look at it? Yeah, okay. I think, that, you know, there's a tension there, isn't there? Oh, you're helping me because I'm in the church. Well, I want to, you know, or are you wanting to bless that person because they're in the church and they've served you well? There's a tension there, which I think we just need to be better at talking about those things. Um, It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? What else can we learn? So they looked after one another financially and practically, and they had a commonality, a shared existence together, a shared experience together. And, and it says this, and day by day, attending the temple together, day by day, there was a regular nature to their meeting. Attending the temple together, they went and worshipped God together. If you're here this morning, you have done that. You know, are you a regular on a Sunday morning? Do you regularly want to meet with the people of God, with your brothers and sisters, to worship God together? Do you, you know, create space to do that midweek in an explore group or on a prayer night? They were doing it day by day. And they broke bread in their homes and receive their food with glad and generous. They spent time in each other's homes, eating and reminding one another of what Jesus had done. It says they broke bread in their homes. It might mean that they broke bread, you know, they took communion. It might mean that they broke bread, they ate together. Probably, I think both, personally. And something I've got out of the habit of doing sort of over COVID time, which I want to try and get back in the habit of doing, is if we have someone for a meal, we'll make communion part of that 
meal together. Why not? If, you know, the people there are believers. We've done it a few times at Christmas. It's a little bit odd at the start. It's just like, okay, we're about to have Christmas dinner, but before we do, let's take communion. Why not? My, you know, I'm blessed to have family that are all Christians, all followers of Jesus. Actually, we just before we feast and gorge ourselves, we're going to remember what Jesus did. And I'm going to think, man, this, this is just like a, it's like a mockery of the feast that's to come. So I'm going to enjoy this as a, as a prelude. It, helps. it adds a different dimension, adds a different dynamic. We can do that. How often do you having people in your home who are part of this congregation? Spend time in each other's homes and remind one another of what Jesus had done. They weren't like a commune, you know, oh, we're going to just sort of go off and be our own group over here and that's fine, you carry on, off you go, following the wrong gods, we're going to be over here on our own enjoying times. No, they, they lived their lives differently in a way that was on display for others to see. You know, oh, you're going to come, come to the, I don't know, the football, you're going to come to the football match that we, you know, you've got tickets for. Oh, actually, I sold my tickets. I put them on eBay, sold them somewhere else. Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. That might be against the law. Don't do that. Um, but, oh, I, I, I gave up my season ticket at this football club because the money that I was using for that, I'm actually supporting this family that are really struggling at the moment. Oh, okay. okay. They lived their lives differently in a way that people around them could see. And as they did that, people saw, if you saw a community that were like, man, once you're in there, that's like you're looked after. Like you're, really, you're looked after. You would want to be part of that community, wouldn't you? Man, you've got, suddenly you've got 3,000 people. I've got your back. Don't worry about it. Your kids aren't going to go hungry. This winter, I know they're sort of they're doing stuff to try and help it. There will be people who will be going hungry. There are people already now who are like, mm, this, is, this is difficult for me. You know, it's capped at two and a half thousand. That's no good for me. I can't afford what it is now. There's an opportunity for the church to demonstrate a different way of living, a different way of being community. And as they did that, it created an atmosphere and a space for God to go, do you know what? I'm going to bless you. You're devoted to these things. I can trust you with more disciples. I'm going to bless you by adding people. Because you, what you're doing, you're doing it well. And as we do that, God will say, hey, bring people, people will be drawn to it. And then they can, be, they can encounter the living God. So just as we finish, I wonder which of those things you find most difficult to do where you notice a lack in your life. It's, as a church, I go, devote, you know, devoted themselves to, to the breaking of bread. When did we last take communion? Weekend away? We used to do it every other week. COVID, not an excuse anymore. So that's something we're going to be getting back to as a church. Okay, we need to we need to be devoted to this. There's something in it. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a means of grace, an encounter with God. 
When I look at our, our, so I look at our church life, it's, it's easy. Something we're lacking there. Okay, but what about us as individuals? Do you feel a sense of belonging and commonality towards your brothers and sisters? If not, what can you do to change that? How can you foster that? Do you have a need that you're keeping hidden? The classic song with Bill Withers, uh, Lean on Me or whatever, no one can feel those of your needs that you don't let show. You know, it's no good thinking, oh, I'm starving, I haven't eaten for a week, but you're coming to church and you think you're showing as if you're like, great. Oh, everything's fine, oh, yeah, we're doing really well. Oh, I'm so hungry, I haven't eaten. No, obviously that's, you know, you're really hitting the biscuits hard in the coffee time. If, you, if you've got a need, you need to tell people. Can't keep it hidden and then go, oh, no one's helping me. You know, that is, as an aside, that's like one of the most like damaging things, isn't it? When people think that you're a mind reader. Oh, you were upset about that. I had no idea. You've been carrying that for six months. I didn't know you were upset. I'm just living my life happy as Larry over here. Same with if you've got a need. need we're really struggling. I'm finding this difficult. We need to be open with one another. There's no shame in the church. We are all sinners. We have all done terrible things. You know, if we, if it was offered to you, okay, all of your sins are going to come up here listed or in video format. Who's going to be first onto the stage? You know, there'd be an Aaron-shaped hole in the door. <laughs> But you know what? Actually, in Christ, it'd be only the righteousness of Jesus shown. There's no shame. There's no shame in here. Are you sacrific sacrificially giving up what is yours to serve the church financially? We talked a little bit about giving a few weeks ago. Giving should hurt. I've shared this story before. Megan and I once... We forgot, we forgot to do our sort of bank transfer before we'd set up the bit. And we were like, whoa, we've got this money at the end of the, end of the month. What's happened? Something great, you know, we've, we've received a blessing. We went out and we were like, let's get a new TV. We're looking around at all these things. And then we were like, yeah, just, it just doesn't feel right. And, you know, the salesman was trying to give it the old, oh, if you don't take this deal now, it's gone. And as soon as the salesman says that to me, I'm like, oh, I'm gone then. I'll cut off my nose to spike my face. Um, and we went home and we were like, okay, let's just have a think about it. Check prices online, whatever. And then we got home and we were like, ah, oh, we didn't give this month. That's why we've got that money. And we obviously got a new TV. No. <laughs> no we, we then gave the money to the church. But it should hurt. And then afterwards, I was looking at my TV thinking, man, this TV is really bad. <laughs> but... We did it because we want to. We want to. We love the church. We serve the church. We want to serve the church in that way. And I think it's it's good to feel that. Oh, this is painful. This hurts. I'm I'm having to sacrifice to give this. Are you committed to worshiping alongside your brothers and sisters? Are you coming on a Sunday regularly? And are you coming to worship, or are you coming because I'm going to come here and I'm going to sort of stand? Slightly Someone to say, hey. 
If you're coming in like that, come in and say, do you know what, I'm really not okay. Can you pray with me before the service starts? Or get here at 10 and pray with all of us and get yourself ready. This is match day. It's fine to turn up and not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. You know, that's a sort of a little bit of a thing or whatever, but you can't stay there. But are we committed to worshipping alongside our brothers and sisters? Do you regularly have people in your home to share food and life? Is that a regular occurrence? COVID's not an excuse anymore. I don't know if anyone enjoyed you know, the isolation bit of COVID. Some people did. All like the introverted people are like, yes, I can't see anyone. It's the law. Um, I'm an extroverted person. I love being around people. It helps me to sort of, you know, come to life or whatever, feel energized. But like, I was like, hey, I'm quite enjoying some of this. You know, I get to hang out with my four favorite people. And that's it, you know, and to talk to people on Zoom or phone or whatever. But somebody said it was quite nice. It's not an excuse anymore. When you do have people with you in your home, do those times, or you go to someone else's home, do those times ever include talking about how Christ has been at work and is at work in your life? Be the weird one. Be the weird one. Ask, you know, what's God been talking to you about? What's, what have you learned this year so far from God? What's God been working on in your life? And like, be ready to have like a genuine answer if someone does that, does ask that question. Okay. Jesus showed his devotion to the church. He gave up his life. He, glorious part of the Trinity, unbroken fellowship, became a baby experienced separation from God. Why have you forsaken me? Experienced that. This perfect, loving relationship, unbroken as this, this moment which we don't really understand, but somehow something happened there. Experienced physical, emotional, spiritual agony on our behalf. For the church. Hebrews says that you know, for what was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He, Jesus loved the church so much that when he was confronted with the cross, he obviously has his moment in Gethsemane. He was like, there's another way but your will. He surrendered to the will of God. But Hebrew says he scorned the shame of the cross. This is rubbish because that is the reward. That's what comes after the church. Let's be devoted to the fellowship. If we do, God might add to our number day by day those who are being saved. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your love for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love the church, that it's your bride, that you endured the cross for us, that you building the church that on the day of days when you return in that that moment that you will be able to present to yourself a spotless bride 
perfectly, wonderfully, amazing, stunningly adorned. The adornment is the, the good works that you give us to do. That's what the word says. So Lord, we want to serve you well by serving one another well. We want to love each other as you have loved us. Help us to do it, Lord. Help us to do it. We can't do it in our own strength. We need you. We need more of your spirit to enable us to live as followers of Jesus in this world. Bless our time together uh, as we have tea and coffee and talk and catch up with one another. Help us to be devoted to one another, Lord. Help us to have relationship that spills beyond this time slot on a Sunday, but into midweek as well. Help us to be focused on you. Help us to give attention to you when we do gather together. We want to glorify you. We want people to look at this church and the way that we treat one another, the way that we don't hold grudges, the way that we forgive, the way that we bless one another and say, oh, they must really believe what they believe. They must really love this Jesus guy because they're putting up with each other in such ways. They're blessing one another. They're helping one another. Help us to be a church that demonstrates the grace and glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.